0: This is the Business of Apps podcast, bringing you actionable insights from the leaders of the global app industry and the world's fastest growing apps. You can find more app
1: news, data, and analysis over at businessofapps.com. Welcome to the Business of Apps podcast. On this show, we invite app industry professionals to cover various topics. We promise to do our best to keep it both insightful but brief. In this episode we have eric bauer head of product and market strategy at branch alex welcome to House podcast
0: thank you art it's a pleasure to be here thanks for the invitation
1: it's great thank you for coming and welcome everybody to november we're getting there it's uh, just a few weeks and it's christmas that's the lighting speed uh all right let me set the stage for the conversation first so Every industry has these moments. Everybody are chugging along, not drastic changes on the horizon, and then all of a sudden, boom! Roles of the game are changed significantly. For the app industry, that change was the introduction of the SCAD network by Apple a couple of years ago. For somebody, that was the moment of shock and terror. For some folks who kind of saw it was coming, it was just the moment when it became reality. Today, Alex will tell us about Get Network 4.0 from Apple, Privacy Sandbox from Google, and what app subscription owners should do about it. But before any- anything else, please tell us about yourself, Alex. What is your background in mobile tech?
0: Well, I've been in mobile tech for, oh seven seven seven-ish years at this point. I didn't come to it with a particularly standard career trajectory because I was a classically trained pianist before this, and then I kind of pivoted into something other than music because I wanted to explore a different area. And also there came a time when I really needed to pay rent. So I I got into (laughs) mobile tech as a product manager for a small app and then joined Branch about seven years ago because our app had used Branch's technology at the time, and I just thought it was super
1: cool and I wanted to be more involved. That's awesome. Music. Wow. Uh, I like, you know, every time I can hear somebody in the tech who was not a developer or software developer originally, like Brian Chesky for Airbnb, he is a designer. Um, You definitely like to see and hear what um, Johnny I from Apple for Apple did um, when it came to design the touch of somebody who came from art and bring that, his expertise, his vision to the tech. So yeah, I, but you're you're the first guy in the show who came from the um, music industry uh, being a musician. That's interesting.
0: Um, I've run into maybe one or two others in the past who have some sort of music background. I haven't run into that many who kind of went to a, a classical music conservatory. And oh, I think that's that's uh-huh. my that's my claim to fame. I put it on my LinkedIn page a few years ago just because I wasn't hearing anyone else with that background.
1: Gotcha. That's your thing. Okay. Uh, t- tell us about Branch. Uh, what do you guys do?
0: Branch provides linking and measurement services for mobile apps. So we're we're most famous, going back years, for our deep linking platform that was primarily focused around. Owned and earned organic channels, you know, places where you already have a relationship with the user and you just want to make the app part of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, these days, we're equally well known for our mobile measurement partner solution, which is the ad measurement and linking component, which is what primarily is going to be on the topic of the podcast today because SKAd Network and all of that is obviously about ad measurement. So, yeah, we, we're, we're in a category of companies that most folks have probably come across as MMP.
1: Got gotcha. you. All right. Um, okay. First, the meta question. No pun intended. Not that meta. <laughs> what is the current state of the app industry, user privacy wise? Where are we on this frontier? Well, the uh, the metaphor
0: that I like, and I, I'm stealing this from Miles Younger. I think he published a, a blog post on Mobile Dev Memo a year or so ago. But it's like the three body problem. At this point, we've got three different pretty significant forces and if if anyone's heard about the three body problem it's this astrophysics question about when you have three sufficiently large interacting bodies in space Mm -hmm, the dynamic mm -hmm. is too complex to predict what will happen next and in in this situation we have Regulators who are making new laws around privacy and starting to actually sue people for compliance. We have legislators making making new pol- new laws. So there's the uh, there's the regulation and legal side of things. And then we also have these really significant platforms like Apple and Google that, while they're not making laws, they're making policies that are both prescriptive and enforceable enough that for most in the mobile ecosystem, they're kind of similar to laws. You can't r- risk being kicked out of the app store. So you got those two large entities interacting. And then the third one here is users. Like Users are now aware that privacy is a thing that they ought to care about. So you've got these three large interacting entities, and it's really too complex to know exactly what will happen next other than privacy is now a major thing. It's not going away. It's on on billboards on the side of the highway. So this is with us now as a privacy, privacy as a focus, which is an objectively good thing. We need Absolutely. strong user privacy protections. This is not in debate, I think, by anyone serious. The question is how do we balance the requirements for user privacy alongside the requirements for systems that still allow businesses to grow and thrive? And there definitely is a balance. If you go too far to either extreme, then things aren't gonna turn out well.
1: Or put it shortly, how do we make everybody happy? <laughs> I how don't think we're gonna, we
0: are not gonna make everyone we're not happy gonna, in that, this that, situation. That's, that's the, impossible. An but... goal
1: for sure. Paradoxically, uh, what I hear more and more that users are kind of wanted wanted both their privacy to be respected and obviously advertising being targeted and um, not just um, blind as it was before the um, Facebook came along as the super uh, advertising platform that broad efficiency of advertising on the next level, uh, but we know that user privacy was not on the radar for years and years. So right now, uh, people still want ads to be relevant to them, but they do want their privacy to be respected. And it's really hard to make this you know, equation of two things equally uh, well um, performed. I think that's the tricky true. part.
0: It is, it is really difficult to balance those two extreme objectives and the, the act of trying to find the balance, I think, is going to drive a lot of new innovation in the mobile space. But it also gets in a little bit about the difference between stated versus revealed preferences for users. They state that privacy is very important. If you look at something like the, the opt-in rate for Apple's app tracking transparency permission, allow app to track or ask app not to track. Uh-huh. clearly most users are going to select the I don't want to be tracked option, which is the stated preference. But also, if you look at their purchasing behavior, they like free apps. They like games they don't have to pay for. They want to find games and apps that keep them engaged and make their devices more useful. And when the value trade-off between attribution and ability to monetize by, by ads versus not having an app at all, I think we haven't got to the point where we actually know where that story ends up yet. We're still playing through.
1: Absolutely, and you're absolutely right. It's the perfect recipe for new innovation to actually trying to achieve these both goals and making a, kind of a uh, reversing back the uh, downtrend and advertising efficiency to the level that it was before SCAD network introduction to the level it was before uh, IDFA deprecation by Apple. But it remains to be seen when and how it will be achieved. We live in a very dynamic world and the app industry mirrors its rapid changes. Your app growth depends on new knowledge and skills like never before. This December, one and only Berlin will open its doors for app marketers from all corners of the world go to AppPromotionSummit.com slash Berlin to register and be part of it. Now, as much as we uh, have have these heated discussions about SCAD Network from Apple today, uh, there's a history behind this ad platform. Could you give us kind of a recap of what happened before SCAD Network 1.0 and
0: 4.0? Yeah, SCAD Network has been a wa- around for a while. Uh, version 1.0, I think it's way back iOS 11, which is like 2017 was when that came out. So 1.0 was this, yeah, it's this thing that Apple kind of slid into a developer node they didn't really announce it anywhere. It just popped up in the documentation. And I think of it like the previous version of the matrix. It's just so different from the current version of SKAD Network that nobody took it seriously. And it just lived there for a couple years as sort of this, this hint of where Apple might be going. The story really begins with sk Ad network 2.0 which is what came out in 2020 so it's two and a half years ago at this point at the same time as apple announced these plans to gate or deprecate the idfa so that's when people started taking it seriously and there have been a number of incremental improvements in the last two years to SKAdNetwork network in forms like 2.1 or 2.2. There's even 3.0 that came out about a year ago. But all of these have been incremental improvements that don't address some of the the fundamental flaws with SKAD network from a design perspective that have just made it extremely difficult to use in reality. And so when, when we got SKAD network 4.0, which was announced this last summer, that's when we start to see some, some fundamental redesigning of the spec in ways that should make it a lot less painful to work with.
1: I think it was one of the cases when uh, people's attention were tested really hard. Could you read the small font uh, attentive enough to see what's coming, or or you were just um, busy, too busy to be attentive and reading uh, every single paragraph in that document. Yeah, so people who read that document, they were, <laughs> they had a, a good start and a leg up on everybody else. Uh, the problem is that uh, for Apple, uh, which has a way bigger experience of releasing products for consumers. Uh, They always try to release the first version of a product with a limited set of features, get them right, expand on that set of features later, introducing more stuff. And usually it's something that people are, there are groundbreaking products, nothing before that thing of that kind was, so there's no way to compare. For advertisers, gosh, there was a really big way to compare the SCAD network with everybody else. And if it doesn't match, if it doesn't deliver the same experience, you're you're absolutely automatically doomed to be criticized and pretty uh, you know justifiably. So yeah, uh, it's 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 a good thing that it it didn't take years and years, just two years of iterations for Apple to pretty much catch up with the bulk of the complaints. Obviously, it's not perfect yet. It's still it's still a work in progress. But at least, uh, as far as I can hear, people are most, more or less, are um, happy with what Apple uh, done with uh, fourth iteration.
0: I, I I partly agree with that. So I wouldn't say that SK Ad Network 4 solves most of the complaints. I think it solves a few of the key ones that were so significant that they were really blocking even basic implementation of an ad monetization attribution model with previous versions of SK ad mm-hmm. Network, So I think mm-hmm. a, a better way to look at this is probably SK ad Network 4 is where it would have been really great if we could have started three years ago. And there's clearly room for improvement. There's And it's a little bit uh, interesting to compare Apple's usual, usual, as you said, consumer product development lifecycle where they can do it in secret and then come out with something that just blows the rest of the world away. Ad attribution is not something they can do that with, because there are so many integrations and vendors and other parties that need to be in the system, too. So designing something like SKAD Ad Network inside an echo chamber with versions 1 through 3 i think we saw the downside of that with with 4 we start to see some of the benefits that you get with market feedback and testing but there's still a long way to go if we uh, i don't think we'll ever get parity with what was possible with idfa in the past but i'm hoping that we eventually get to the point where it's not actively a headwind for these apps that are trying to grow which even with sk ad network 4 it's an improvement but it's still it's still friction it's not
1: easy to work with gotcha fingers crossed fingers oh, yes. crossed so switching the gears um uh what's what's the um what's special about this latest iteration uh 4.0 mm-hmm. um what um if you can compare like from the you know this latest iteration with everything that came before what Apple brought to the table that improved the whole situation. Just like you're saying, it's not perfect, but it became significantly better. Yes, I mean, we don't have time on this podcast to go through the
0: technical details. That is literally an hour and a half by itself. But Absolutely, broadly, yeah. the the improvements with uh, SKAD Network 4 over previous versions is it allows you to get more signal through the system. And by that, I think a, a useful metaphor I've been using is imagine COVID tests. The previous version of SKAD network gave you a single COVID test. You could choose, to some extent, when you were going to take the test, but you only had one of them. With the uh, with the the improvements in SKAD network four, it's basically like they've given you some additional COVID tests to work with. Now you can take one a few days after you might have been exposed, and then you have mm-hmm. a second chance to take one, like later in the week, and then then maybe two or three weeks later, you get a third chance. So you're getting more more COVID tests to work with, which means there's more likelihood that you'll actually uncover the information that you were looking for, which should COVID is, was I infected or not? But for apps, it's, did the user do something that I actually consider to be valuable? With previous versions of SCAD, it was really hard to know whether this new user was going to be a worthwhile user for your business. Now with SCAD 4, you have more opportunities to, to learn about that.
1: Thank you for bringing it home it was a great analogy. I think uh, you know, COVID is uh, wait, is it like the ultimate analogy for the whole planet to understand something? Comparing with COVID is the uh, uh, allegory. Um, now, what what about the Google side of the equation, the privacy sandbox? Uh, what is it, and how's it different from the Apple scan network?
0: Well, privacy sandbox is is the name for a broader initiative that Google's been working on for several years. It started on web with, uh, with Chrome and now they're bringing it to Android. But it's kind of this, this sandbox that they are developing proposals for how to do a variety of different things in a more privacy-first way. So within the sandbox, there are multiple design proposals and I won't go too much into what's going on on the web, but for the Android side of things, there's four different proposals that address things like SDK security and ad audience targeting and optimization. And then for the the purposes of this discussion, probably the most interesting one is the attribution API, which is Google's answer to SK Ad Network. It's the way to attribute advertising performance without requiring a unique universal ID like on iOS, the IDFA, but on Mm -hmm. Android, the equivalent is the GAID, strong uh, likelihood that within the next few years, GAID also goes away. So we need an alternative that allows measurement of advertising to continue. And that's what the attribution API is designed for.
1: And... uh... Definitely Google gives people more time to a- a- adjust. The roadmap is not that tight and speedy as like with Apple. Uh, what are we talking about? 2024 is the year of when the privacy sandbox will be in place or sooner?
0: Yeah, Google is, I think Google just recognizes they have to do this differently from Apple. Apple is has a market reputation as privacy first and they are also not, at least yet, known as an advertising company. So yeah. they can implement a change like this, and it's not really questioned whether it's an anti-competitive move or anything like that. Google clearly is in a different situation. They are an ad company first and foremost. So, so anything that they do which touches advertising measurement, in particular, they just they they have to be. Able they have to, to be careful. Them. Yeah, they have to be more open about what they're doing. But I think they also saw how much disruption came from the SKAD Network rollout, and they don't want that to happen to Android. So they're being, from my perception, they're being a lot more inclusive and a lot more uh, communicative about what they're doing. So the rollout, yes, number one, it's extended compared to SKAD Network. It's about two years. And number two, the milestones are are pre-announced. We know what's supposed to happen at each phase of this rollout. So the, uh, the the broad milestones here are specifications were announced last spring. Developer previews of these specifications have been available for testing for the last couple months. Early next year, so 2023, these specifications are supposed to be live in public versions of Android so that you can actually start ecosystem-wide testing. And then the current timeline for when these specifications are intended to be broadly adopted and some of the previous functionality like GAID starts to go away is currently slated for sometime in 2024. So it's kind of, it's a it's a more relaxed timeline, mm-hmm. which is great, but also comes with the downside risk of will people pay attention early enough to actually take advantage of that, which is kind of where we are right now. It's time to start testing. but are people going to start testing? Like, this is the open question I'm seeing.
1: Yeah, I think even Google isn't capable to give the 100% accurate answer on this question. It's the mix of the technology, people's ability to do changes, their financial uh, capabilities, their schedule, and psychology. Is it too soon, not enough time, or it's too slow, people will be... Telling themselves, "Oh, 2024—it's ages in the future. We can just continue to do stuff as we do, just like you know, start doing, um, start exercising from next Monday. Start exercising okay. from next Monday. You can push this this limit, <laughs> this date, <laughs> farther farther into the future. You How can. Could... The
0: difference is like Apple's is: start exercising next Monday or on Tuesday, you are dead."
1: You're dead. Like there's, a much, there's a much stronger
0: <laughs> incentive to actually take action on Monday
1: in that case. Absolutely. The incentive is definitely there. All right. So, now as we've covered both solutions, what do you see is coming for iOS and Android and what app subscription developers need to do to get ready?
0: Yeah, it's a little bit different for each side of the ecosystem. So, for iOS, SKAd Network 4 is out already as of last week. But there's not a ton that advertisers can do yet. They need to wait for the ad networks and also the MMPs to update. And MMPs, they've all announced plans for SCAD Network 4 support. So that's going to happen pretty soon. But the ad networks also need to update. And I haven't seen much public announcement of timeline there yet. So it could take a while before the new version is actually rolled out. It's its similar in some ways to the privacy sandbox problem because previous versions of SCAD are fine. But the upcoming version of scan, you have to do some changes to take advantage of how much new functionality is available there. So basically, it's going to be some fragmented data for a while. And on the privacy sandbox side, uh, yeah, it now is the time to begin testing if you want to be one of those early adopters that avoids as much as possible disruption coming in future. But otherwise, I think we'll start to see more communication about like beta programs early next year when when people in the vendor side have made it a little bit further along.
1: Now, being in mobile analytics for years, just like you said, seven plus, I bet there is at least one thing that you would like to change in mobile. What is that thing?
0: Oh, I like this question. Uh, the one thing I would like to change in mobile is that it wouldn't be quite so dominated by really large corporate entities. And that that was one of the really great things about the web in the early days, is it was open and it was based on standards that didn't preference any particular large company. And in mobile, it's just this, this, it's like the Game of Thrones. It's a bunch of kingdoms owned by really powerful forces that in almost every case have incentives that are number one not aligned with app developers and then even worse number two is not aligned with users and we're seeing we're seeing the issues with that pop up in so many places privacy is obviously one of those but there's just if if I could change one thing it would be that there were fewer walled gardens in mobile
1: good old days of so web 1.0 i know yeah it. back in the day mozilla foundation a bunch of different browsers uh truly trillions trillion of websites uh i'm not necessarily exaggerating it feels like so many places you can pick up people's brains not being you know jammed forced in, onto twitter facebook um uh, mm-hmm. it's just like yeah the Manipulation of the internet uh, really degraded the original idea, um, and it doesn't feel like Web three is significantly better in that respect. We're not. I don't. That doesn't feel like we're moving for. We're moving back into the you know pre Web point two version of the internet. It's more of a you know building on that foundation, but it doesn't feel like there's way back. Well, Web3 is one
0: of those other topics that will still be here in two hours if we start going down that Yeah,
1: absolutely. That's the entire universe on its own. All right, let let, let me transition to the second small part of the show where I get a chance to ask a few quick questions to my guests and let everybody who's listening to this podcast know them a little bit better. What smartphone do you have now? Uh, Have you been switching between these two monopolies, two giants, iOS, Android?
0: I have an iOS device, I have an Android device sitting in my desk drawer that I need to set up and start using, but I have been iOS for years mostly and mostly because of the apps to be honest. I, I have this thing for like small independent apps where I pay the developers directly and those tend to exist on iOS more than Android so I have so much invested in some of these niche apps now that I wouldn't be able to find them on Android or I wouldn't want to switch. So that that's the reason I stick with iOS.
1: Gotcha. Okay. Before these two giants existed, the good old uh, featured phones, uh people did, did not call them back then. But what was your first mobile phone from that era? My
0: first mobile phone. It was
1: like some tiny flip phone from
0: I don't even remember, LG, I think. But the first phone I actually liked very much was a Palm WebOS. Like that was the best phone. They had functionality that iOS and Android didn't implement for years. And I think there's still some things about the webOS ecosystem that were better than what we have
1: today. I, I really like that phone. I'm sorry, it went away. Yeah, and uh, it doesn't feel like web Palm OS would ring the bell for anybody these days. No, it was a small basically... niche community, but it was a cool phone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do remember people covering that, um, ecosystem it wasn't not even close of the size of current ios or android but oh. it was really great for um, for what it was doing yeah it's it's still said that it's, uh, it I still exists it still exists but it um, and they, they now small use it scale.
0: like power printers instead of phones
1: oh that's interesting interesting pivot um back to present uh what if you're uh left your smartphone at home when you're out, uh, what would be that missing feature for you? Oh, for a long time, it, this is stupid,
0: but it would have been, I wouldn't know what time it is because I didn't carry a watch. So if i left my smartphone at home, I'd be stuck without the time. Uh, I do have a watch now. So missing feature that I would uh, most miss, I think be having having an easy way to jot down notes wherever I am, whether it's about a conversation I've had or something I want to remember to do, it's just like the, the phone is the place that I capture things so that I can take action on them later.
1: Yeah, instead of grabbing pencil and paper, you're grabbing your phone. Yeah, exactly. Uh, what new technologies, uh, hardware, software, or both you're excited about, uh, you would like your smartphone to have, and uh, I'm asking you specifically, it can be anything uh, that is in your mind not necessarily you know aligned with the current hype, um, not necessarily more, probably less, probably giving more you know balance uh, of using that device for you?
0: Oh, I'm gonna cheat just a little bit on this question because the technology is not really Go a ahead. technology that I'm most interested in. It's more like a, a trend that I'm seeing. So the thing that's exciting me the most is actually that, It feels, especially since some of the changes that were forced by COVID, that apps are now becoming an integrated part of a user's, well, a user, a person, an integrated part of a person's daily life in many more ways than they were in the past. And in the past, it was like, this is an app on my phone. I'm going to open it. I'm going to do something. I'm going to go away. Now the, the app is like, it's the facilitation of something that you are already doing. It's just, it's, it's part of the experience that kind of goes from offline to app to like utility, something else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're more like a, a utility that helps you do things that you are going to be doing anyway, rather than, oh, I have 10 minutes. Let me open up this app and do something for a while.
1: Got you. Okay. Before I let you go, very, very final question. How can people get in touch with you and get more information about what you do? Okay, there's three ways. Number one, you can email me, alex.bauer at
0: branch.io. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter. That's Alex D. Bauer. And I was going to say send a carrier pigeon, but I've actually forgotten what the third one was. So
1: let's go with those two. Okay, no, no pigeons this time. Thank you, Alex. Thank you for coming on the show and spending time with us. Bye-bye. And that was Alex Bauer, head of product and market strategy at Branch. To listen to more episodes, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, just search for Business of Apps, and you will find us easily. Remember, we release episodes on Mondays, so subscribe, and you'll be able to get new episodes on your smartphone, tablet, or computer as soon as we release them. And please don't forget to leave us a review or comment on iTunes. It is highly appreciated. And all episodes will also be available on businessofapps.com. Thank you for listening. See you next week. Thank you for listening to the Business of Apps podcast. For more, head on over to businessofapps.com.